like that. Alicia, it's so good to see you back home, and we were praying for you in your time of bereavement and time of difficulty. And we got visitors here from the Chicago area and Virginia Beach and Imperial Beach and <laughs> all kinds of places. So we're welcome to everybody. If you're a first-time guest or first time in a long time, please take one of these connection cards in a moment. Uh, in fact, go ahead and be seated. And take one of those cards out and begin to fill it out. And once you get it filled out, at the end of the service, uh, take it back to the back. And we have an offering box back there. Uh, people put their tithes and offerings in there. But we want you as a guest to put your connection card in all filled out. And we'll have a record of your visit here at First Baptist Church. And thank you so much uh, for coming to be with us today. You can also do, if you have a smartphone, iPad, you can do it online. They'll put the address up. Uh, behind me, uh, and you can check that out. I want you to have a blessed July 4th uh, coming up, a safe July 4th, and you who live on the island, you will have your car towed, and uh, you know, wherever you live, it's you can't park on the island. No, just kidding. That day, it will be tight. It's already tight this morning, as some of you found out, but you know what? Thank you for making the effort to park two or three blocks away and walk in. I really do appreciate that. We're going to buy a new parking lot and have it put in as soon as we can find a place to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday, wildlife camp check-in. That'll be at 12.30 p.m. right here. We're glad to have our own Young Lifer back. So good to have you. We missed you last week. Uh, next Sunday, Close Encounters, the woman with the alabaster box. And a very important lesson. And after that, we have a new members class. So anybody who's interested in becoming a member, or if you're not sure you want to be a member, but you'd like to find out more information about First Baptist Church, no pressure. Pat will not threaten you if you don't join on that Sunday, but we'll have lunch for you. We'll have child care for you, and then you'll learn about the church, and uh, we hope that you do. If, if the Lord's leading you, go ahead and, and join. But sign up if you haven't done so already, and you can do that on your connection card. Just put on there your name and how many of you there are, and that you'll be here for the new member class, and that would be a good thing. Now, we have a special need. Bobby, can I borrow your microphone? We have a special need, and my wife is going to come up here and preach and give an invitation, and uh, she's going to share with you what, she, what that need is. Hi there. Um, everybody, anybody that helps in our Sunday school, either as a teacher or a helper, would you please stand up for a second? Awesome people. And there are some probably already in the classes. Thank you. And as you will see in just a few minutes, we have some cuter kids than you can ever imagine that come to First Baptist Church. And we have a need for more workers. And um, I'm going to be passing around a clipboard. And you, please, if you've thought about it and you've heard us talk about it and you've seen the announcements online, um, if you have thought about it, and we're making it really convenient for you to sign up and just check your name after teacher or helper, if you think, well, I don't know how to teach, well, we can start you out as a helper, and you will, can learn how to teach. And some of you have heard me tell this when we had a Sunday school appreciation um, lunch a few months ago, but when I was 14, or actually when I was a little bitty, I started going to a small Baptist church in a military town. It was Army, but, okay. Um, but as 
here, people came and went with deployments and moving and transfer. So the need was great for Sunday school teachers always. When I was 14, my pastor at the time came to our house and he handed me a sheet of mimeographed paper, black and white, with a scripture verse on it and some points to teach. And he said, uh, Mrs., and I don't even know her name, Mrs. So-and-so that taught the junior girls, they've been transferred and I need you to teach the junior girls. They were 9, 10, and 11, and 12. I was 14. And he said, I said, huh, huh, huh. He said, no, you're going to be fine, and left. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of choice. And I went in with fear and trembling and didn't die <laughs> and thought some of those kids were pretty neat. And that became one of the most important things in my life at that time. The kids grew on me. I loved them, and I learned so much about the Bible from, from trying to get ready to teach to listening to them, talking to them. I learned so much about so many things, and that was very important to me. I think a lot of you are very able and very talented and just haven't um, thought about that area. And not you wouldn't get a mimeographed page. You would get a book with all kinds of colors. And depending on what age you're teaching, lots of colors, lots of scripture, lots of activities, lots of teacher tips, lots of things to do, and you would be just fine. So if I were to come to your house and hand you one of these books, and you said, no, 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 and left, you'd be just fine. But as that, as that page goes around, um, ask the Lord, is this something I could do? And think about it and pray about it. Let's stand again as we continue to worship.
praise team, I'm going to ask everyone, including the children, to be seated for just a moment. We have a video that we want to show to you. Seventeen seventy six. A dream was birthed from the pens of our founding fathers. A big dream. A dream so dangerous to the world that it needed to be protected. A dream that all people are created equal. It may not have been perfect, but we still strived and reached for a more united union. Because democracy compels us to dream. We are a nation founded on radical ideas of freedom and peace and the pursuit of happiness. This is not a static nation. This is a living, breathing country, stretched and pulled and pushed in different directions. But at the core is freedom. Because democracy necessitates freedom. We may not be perfect, but we press on to correct the wrongs and injustices that exist because democracy requires justice for all. May we always remember that democracy was forged in the furnace of sacrifice. And a democracy whose people don't sacrifice is no democracy at all. Because democracy requires sacrifice. So today, we celebrate our great nation. We pray that our hearts would be turned to God and that He would continue to pour out His blessing on us. We celebrate our freedoms and remember our missteps, all to honor the great and dangerous dream that we are one nation under God, indivisible, pursuing liberty and justice for all. All right, I want all of our future adults to come up to the front. All of our future adults of First Baptist Church, some of you big people ought to be Never mind. All right. All the kiddos, just before you go to Sunday school, got an opportunity to share something with you. How many of you kids ever in your life, maybe even one time, how many have ever had a birthday? Almost everybody. All right. All right. Now, oh, he did too. Okay, good. That's good. And, and how many have had like maybe five birthdays? How many have had maybe 10 birthdays? How many have had maybe 12 birthdays? 13 birthdays. Okay, there you go. All right. I know about something that has 241 birthdays. Anybody want to take a guess? Um, turtles. Turtles. <laughs> Some of them live forever, I'm telling you. Some of them live for hundreds of years. But you know what? The United States of America on Tuesday, someone told me today, because actually the papers were signed on the 2nd. I don't know that. I wasn't there, but probably, Lewis, you probably were. So uh, on the 4th, 
It'll be 241 years that our nation has been here. And what's so cool is that our nation, I got to thinking about this about 4 o'clock this morning. And I got to thinking about the fact that we have freedoms in our country and how precious those freedoms are. And, and like that said a minute ago, we're not a perfect nation. But you know what? We are certainly linked to some very important biblical things. And I got to thinking about this. Who was the father of our country? God is the father of our country, but you're getting ahead of me there. It is George Washington. How many know the name George Washington? First president, he was called the father of our country because he was there when it was founded. And, and we have a father. We have a heavenly father, don't we? And he's in heaven. And so like our nation, we as Christians have a heavenly father. Then I got to thinking about all of those patriots. You saw all those tombstones. I had a funeral on Friday, and I was up at Fort Rosecrans, and it's amazing. Anytime you go to one of those uh, military funerals or cemeteries, whether it be in the uh, Philippines, whether it be in Hawaii, whether it be here or over in Europe, uh, to see uh, row after row after row of incredible uh, monuments uh, to the patriots who sacrificed. Guess what? Freedom isn't free, and men and women had to die and pay the price so that you and I could have the freedoms that we have. Well, guess what? There's somebody else who died in order for us to be free, and that was Jesus Christ. God's son. He died on the cross so we could be free from sin. And then I got to thinking, you know what? Our documents, our, our founding documents, like the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and even the Mayflower Compact before that, those were all, they were inspired. Men and women wrote those things who were inspired to write those things and to include in them some scriptural principles. You know what else? so that we know how to live as a nation. But you know what? We have a book here that was supernaturally inspired, not just inspired to be good writing, but supernaturally inspired so we know how to live our lives and how to die and how to go to heaven one day because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So I am thankful to be an American because we can be free as an American. But in John chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free... You shall be free indeed, really free in Jesus Christ. So if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, I hope you do so very soon, as soon as you possibly can, because it's so super important, not just to be free as a citizen of the United States, but to be free forever as a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you have given to us as a people, as a nation. We are incredibly blessed we don't even know except for the ones who maybe have been to other countries and maybe have fought in wars and seen how terrible it is in some places. God, we're so blessed, and we thank you for it. We ask you, Lord, to bless each one of these young people and help them to know uh, that we, we are a special nation. We, uh, God has treated us special, I believe, because we've included him in our founding documents, and we, we refer to him and love him. But, Father... I pray beyond that that every one of these boys and girls would put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior so that they can be with you forever in a far better place than this even, and that's a place called heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all of the kids said, amen. All right, you can go on to your classes. Thank you so much for listening to that. 241 years. Those turtles last forever, I'm telling you. All right. Would you take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 23? 
Luke chapter 23, please, uh, beginning in verse 26 in just a, just a moment or two. Today's message is based on arguably the most powerful scripture teaching on the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in the entire word of God. Probably the subject, the story that I would refer to in talking to someone about uh, salvation being by grace through faith. But before we get into the main text, <clears throat> there is a little context to talk about. So point one is the carrier of the cross. In Luke chapter 23, verse 26, And as they led him, that is Christ, away, as they'd already crowned him with thorns, they've already beaten him with a rod, they've already plucked out his beard, they've already bruised him and, and hit him and socked him in the face, they've already crucified him, or not yet crucified, they've already whipped him, uh, and, and within an inch of his life, and a, maybe a, a, a normal human being, would have died because of the viciousness of the beating. They've already done all that to him, and they're leading him away now to go to the cross to be crucified, to be nailed to that cross. And so as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. As part of the humiliation and the judgment and the torment of a condemned criminal under the Roman system and under the execution by crucifixion to, to further make things tough for him, that individual had to actually carry the cross to the place of execution. Either the entire cross, or some say it was the cross piece that went on uh, on the post that was erected, I don't know, but one or the other, he had to carry that uh, as a, a kind of a, a condemnation in and of itself. And Jesus was, the Bible says, unable to do so. Now, I want you to know something. Jesus could have, with one finger, picked up the cross. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to bear it for him, couldn't he? Because he is the Son of God. But in his unique combination of deity and humanity, he had been so beaten and so uh, tormented that he fell beneath the load of the cross, and, and he wasn't able to, to do that. Um, and, and, and so they... They conscripted someone. Uh, they got Simon from Cyrene, and he's forced to carry the cross. All of the uh, that Jesus had been through, uh, failing to be able to carry the cross is understandable. But here's something else to consider. Maybe he didn't carry the cross because that was a symbol of guilt, and Christ wasn't guilty of anything. Christ was perfect. Christ was sinless. Not only his actions and activities, not only politically and civilly, he was absolutely morally sinless. He was perfect. And I made a reference just a moment ago to Christ falling beneath the load of the cross. And, and uh, the first one who can show me a scripture about that, um, I will give you a Starbucks gift card. Because the fact is, it's not there. <laughs> it's not there. I always thought it was. I even said it in my, you know, in my opening comments about him falling beneath the load. It's not there. But he did not carry the cross. Simon was conscripted to carry it. Now, one other thing. Simon had carried over 800 miles to celebrate the Passover. He didn't have any idea when he left home what was going to happen. He came 800 miles traveling. In those days, 800 miles. He didn't fly. He traveled a long way to be there for the Passover the whole day. He was so excited about that. No doubt to make that kind of a, tra a travel uh, deal. And yet, uh, when he got there, he was, he was chosen to carry the cross. And in a way, that's the ultimate Passover because the Lamb of God was crucified. It didn't turn out bad for Simon. In fact, there's evidence that Simon 
was saved. But that's the carrier of the cross. Secondly, the crying around the cross. The Bible says in verse 27, there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed, cried out loudly, beating themselves on the chest. This was a, a way. You see it on TV now, don't you? When uh, certain countries are bombed or, or there's been some catastrophe or loss of life and people will beat themselves on the chest. And the Bible says that these people, this company of people, these women were wailing, crying out loudly, beating themselves, lamented, which means mourned by way of wailing. And Jesus turned unto them and said, now imagine this. Here he is going to be crucified. Here he is probably physically in his God-man uh, body Every step was a pain. Every single step was a pain. He, he's about to be nailed to the cross and die. And, and these people are wailing and they're beating themselves on the chest. And he turns to them. Now, what's he going to say? I'm not guilty. I told you I wasn't guilty. I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to die. Is that what he's going to say? No. He's, is he going to say something about, you need to feel sorry for me because this is unjust? No. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. But weep for yourselves and your children. Even in dying, Jesus was concerned about other people. His focus was always other people. It's one sign we're, we're, we're not Jesus, I'll tell you right now, because our focus so much of the time is on ourselves, isn't it? Our own needs, our own wants, our own you know, mis- injustices that have happened to us. But here he says, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children, because the days are coming. When they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless and the wombs that have never borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed, people will beg the mountains in that day, fall on us and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What? What does that mean? If these things happen when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? It literally means if the Romans do this to someone innocent, like myself, what would they do to the truly guilty? The fact that you're sinners. So we see the pain of the, of the, the women who are here. A group of grief-stricken women follow Jesus. Do you know there are, there are a lot of references? I should have found out the number. A lot of references to women who were key and important in the ministry and the life of Christ as he was on this earth. And I will tell you this because there are people who tell you that the Christian church has oppressed women and doesn't care for women and put women down and and try to make them second-class citizens. Nowhere in Scripture is Jesus ever an enemy of women. And nowhere in Scripture is the church ever an enemy of women. Now, maybe some religious denominations, maybe some religions are, but Christ and Christianity are not. They were often at the heart of very important lessons. We talked about the woman taken in adultery. Where's the man? Duh. In the very act of adultery. We talk next week about the woman with the alabaster box. We talk about Mary and, and, and her incredible speech when she found out she was going to have a child as an unwed mom. There's so many women that were so important and key to the Christ ministry and later on in the New Testament. They were at the heart of important lessons and beneficiaries of great blessings. He elevated the value, and the worth of women. Thank God for godly women here at First Baptist Church. Thank God for ladies who can be counted on, for ladies who, uh, who take the ministry seriously and get involved. I thank God for my wife. Uh, I, I've always said she, 
She's my, uh, my best cheerleader. She's there for me. And, you know, it's kind of like everybody else. Can, you, all you can be mean, mean and mad at me and all that. As long as she's on my side, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. If she ever gets down on me, I'm in trouble. So, uh, in fact, you could all be for me. If she was down on me, I'd be in mega trouble. So, I, I don't want, she's my best friend. She is my lover, my wife. She's everything to me. So, and my Christianity says that. In fact, uh, my responsibility as a husband is to take care of her as I would take care of my own life. And I'm to provide for her and to protect her and to do for her and in honor preferring one another. She is, uh, she is my better half. And, and I will do whatever I can and whatever needs to be done for her. <laughs> Bill, the only time I ever got uh, into a fist fight as an adult, I was going to Burger King. Uh, one Wednesday night on the way, somebody's alarm, going to uh, Burger King, and uh, she was following me. We took separate cars because she had the kids. The kids were young. Maybe we can shut that door so I don't keep thinking about the horn instead of the, <laughs> the back door. It's the back door, yeah. Okay, so, so anyhow, I pull in, and I park, and I'm waiting for Pat to come in her little AMC station wagon. So she, she comes around the corner, and, and two guys, these weren't kids. These weren't like little kids. They were like, I don't know, maybe 19, 20 years old, something like that. They, they, they were on bicycles. They went by, and they started beating on her, on her car door. And I don't know what happened. All I know is next thing I knew, I tackled him in the middle of the street. We wound up in the Utotem parking lot, and I was beating the uh, devil out of him and uh one his buddy his buddy had a a crescent wrench eight or ten inch crescent wrench in his pocket so i'm kind of watching him and he came behind grabbed me and so i had this big old fist fight and and i'm thinking you know next day i'm thinking paper's gonna san diego union is gonna say baptist preacher goes berserk and you know cripples two poor little kids uh who needed crippling but anyhow uh so don't ever hurt her. You, you can do for me, you can do whatever, but don't ever hurt her because I will protect her. I believe that's my responsibility. So the pain of the maidens is seen here. The prophecy of the Messiah is seen. He predicts that something's going to happen worse than what's happening right then in, in, in a sense because he said, don't you, don't you cry for me. You cry for yourselves and for your children because there's coming a time when you're going to be thankful if you don't have kids. You're gonna be, and, and by the way, isn't it true you would rather hurt than your kids hurt? You would rather have disease than your kids have disease. You would rather have pain than your children have to go through pain. You would rather have someone pick on you than pick on your children. And, and he says, you will be grieving because it's going to be a terrible time for the women. And the women and children will suffer most. And what he was pro- prophesying was the a- absolute utter destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. When the Romans finally put them down for the last time and scattered them. Men would take food from their wives, from their children, and resort to heinous things. Uh, in, in the days of famine, they would resort to heinous things. I can't even, I'm not even going to say what they did. If you read the Old Testament, you'll know what they did to their own babies, to their own children. The third thing is the criminals alongside the cross, beginning in verse 32. And there were two under malefactors, and that means evildoers, lawbreakers, criminals, convicts. They led, led with him to be put to death. And when they came to the place which is called Calvary, which is in the Latin, it's, it's, it Latin means the place of the skull. In Aramaic, it was Golgotha. So Golgotha and Calvary are the same place. And there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. So Jesus is crucified between two thieves. Again, this is all introduction here. Uh, 
the word thieves here means those who use violence to rob openly. So this was forcible taking from people. So it's very possible they hurt someone, maybe, I don't know, fatally perhaps, but it wasn't just breaking into a house when nobody's home. This was forcibly robbing people uh, and maybe murdering people in the process. And this idea of being crucified with thieves was also prophesied hundreds of years before it ever happened. In Isaiah 53, 12, he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressions. Then we see number four. Finally, we get to the cross. The crucifixion is occurring. He is dying. The other thieves are dying uh, on the cross in Luke 23, 34. Uh, In fact, Luke records three of the statements made by Christ from the cross. There are seven altogether. There are seven different sayings of the cross. Maybe you've, Dennis, maybe you've preached that at some point, the seven sayings of the cross. Uh, maybe others have taught it. Fitz, I don't know if you've taught that in Sunday school, but there are seven different sayings. Well, three of them are recorded in Luke. The first and final ones are addressed to the Father in heaven. Jesus said, first of all, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There he is hanging on the cross. His thoughts are not of vengeance. His thoughts are not of retaliation. His thoughts are not of getting evil. His thoughts are, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. If they knew who I was, if they knew the power that I had and that you have, they wouldn't think of doing something like this. They may want to, but they wouldn't do it if they knew. Father, forgive them. So even in dying, he's forgiving others. Then the other thing he says here to the Father is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Verse 46. Jesus picked the moment when he died. He didn't die because of, uh, you know, natural causes, uh, what we would call natural causes. He picked the moment. You can't kill God. God can't die. But God and man, that unique combination, can lay his life down, did lay his life down. And he said, Father, all right, I fulfilled it all. Receive now my spirit that all things will be done as they are supposed to be done. Then we see number four, the calls from the cross. Uh, the second one, rather, is addressed to one of the thieves who begs Jesus to remember him in heaven. This is one of the sweetest verses there is in the word of God. In verse 43, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. <laughs> this salvation was totally of grace. This man was guilty. This man deserved a penalty. Maybe the penalty of death itself. This he didn't deserve salvation. He couldn't earn salvation, but it was both personal and secure. It was guaranteed by the words of God himself, God the Son. Today, guess what? You're going to be with me in paradise. Now, at the same time, number five, the clothing beneath the cross in verse 34, they parted his raiment and they cast lots. He had maybe the only possession worth anything that he had was a robe without seam. Many of you have seen the robe, the old 1950-whatever movie, uh, and that was based on that idea. Well, even that was prophesied in Psalm 22, verse 18. They parted my raiments among them and cast lots upon my vestures or my clothing. So they were gambling for the only thing that Christ had of value. Then number six, the contempt from the cross. And in general, everybody was pouring out contempt. In general, the whole nation poured out contempt when they said, crucify him. Pilate said, what shall I do with him? It's called the Son of God. Crucify him. Yeah, but he's done nothing wrong. I find no fault in him. Crucify him. I can release unto you a prisoner. How about Barabbas? I can release Barabbas. Crucify Christ. Crucify him. Crucify him. They kept crying out. 
Psalm 22 also, verse 6 through 8, I am, but I, I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Look at him. You know what? If, if you're going through some tough times and people who know you're a Christian say, well, hey, if that's what Christians have to go through, I don't want anything to do with it. Remind them of what Christ did. They, they looked at, is this the one who trusted the Lord? Look what's happened to him. I'm, I'm reading again from Job t- today. I'm reading in the Chronological Bible this year and, and reading in the book of Job how that, uh, I mean, they, these friends come and pour scorn upon him and make accusation against him. There he is. He's lost his kids. He's, he's lost all of his wealth, and he was extremely wealthy. He's lost the integrity of his wife, his wife's confidence in him, and then he's lost his health, and he's sitting in an ash heap, and he's scraping the sores with pieces of broken pottery, and his friends come and sit down, and the Bible says, are you ready for this? The Bible says for seven days they don't say a word. How would you like that? Somebody's staring at you for seven days and not saying anything. Can't even scratch if you itch without them knowing about it. And then they pour out all of this accusation upon, is this the one who relies on the Lord, this one here? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. So there was contempt poured out upon Christ in general. But listen to this, from the watching crowd in verse 35 of Luke 23, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really Christ. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Let, let, him, let him go ahead and, and, and save himself if he really is the Christ. I mean, he's, he fed 5,000. If, if, if he really is the anointed one, the Messiah, then let him save himself. He should have the power to do that. And then from the soldiers in verses 36 and 37, they mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. In his thirst, the last thing you would want would be vinegar. And they offered him vinegar, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Saying the same thing the crowd was saying. But this is the most amazing thing to me in this story. The thieves who are also being crucified are pouring contempt on him. Mocking him, ridiculing him, finding fault with him. They're dying the same death. They're going through a similar agony without the weight of the sins of the world upon their shoulders. So they're going through similar physical agony. And they're picking on the middle cross. And they say, and through all of this, then one of them, rebukes the other thief, and then he turns to Christ in verse 39, and he said, if you are the Christ, if you are the, oh, no, they were saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. That's what they were both saying early on. The citation over the cross is a superscription that was written over him in the letters of Greek, because that was the common language, and, the, and Latin, because that was the language of Rome, and Hebrew, because that was the language of the Jews, saying, this is the king of the Jews. Pilate had that written, three different languages, on a sign over the cross that Christ was crucified on. Remember, you remember the high priest said, hey, don't put that sign on there, Pilate. Take it down. He said, what I've written, I've written. Leave it there. And then number eight, we see in verse 40, finally this one of the thieves, I'm not sure which one, one of the thieves 
He says, he rebuked the other thief, and he said, don't you fear God seeing you're in the same condemnation? You have the same sentence, the sentence of death by crucifixion? And we indeed justly, we deserve it, in other words. We receive the due reward the, the, to weigh it, the, the scales with equal weights on each side. In other words, it's fair, it's right, it's just for us to die because of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong, nothing faulty, nothing amiss. Then the request was made in verse 42. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Think about me. He had no hope of being there. He had no presumption. He, I don't even think that thought entered his mind. He was a guilty convict, guilty criminal, under the sentence of death, and he was dying. He said, Lord, just simply remember me when you come to the kingdom. And look at verse 43. Jesus said unto him, verily, which means truly, I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Paradise means the garden of God, the abode of Almighty God. Then we see in, in number 9, verse 44, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, from noon until 3 p.m. I mean, at the, when the sun should be at the highest of the sky, at the crest of the sun, it should be absolutely bright. Uh, there was absolute darkness over the earth, and that's when Jesus breathed his last. And at that moment, at that very moment, the veil of the temple was torn I believe from the top to the bottom. And that, that curtain that was, some people say, two or three inches of, of fabric woven together, two or three inches thick and huge, separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place, was rent into, was torn from the top to the bottom. You know why? Because Christ had entered into the Holy of Holies in heaven, paid the price with his blood, and never again, would there have to be a blood sacrifice for atonement? And now here we are, 2000, maybe 2017, maybe 2000, maybe not quite 2000 years later, depending on the dates, and Israel's still in darkness. And guess what? There's an unnamed thief who's been in heaven for almost 2,000 years. That encourages me. Oh, by the way, um, in order for that to happen, of course, they had to baptize the thief, right? No. But he did have to join the church. No. Oh, but you know what? If he was Baptist, I'm sure he tithed, right? Otherwise, there's no way he could make it. No. He never made a confession if you're Catholic. He never went to confession. He didn't have last rites. He had no good works. None. He never took communion like we're about to in just a little while. You know what he did? He simply trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Master and Savior. That is salvation by grace through faith. So let's not get hung up on how good we are. Let's not get hung up on how much good we do. Because apart from Christ, there is no goodness in us. And we are ever as guilty as that thief 
and slash murderer on the cross who's been in heaven for almost 2,000 years. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you saved by the blood of the Lamb? Are you trusting him this morning? Would you bow your heads, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're sure that you are trusting Christ, you have no doubts about that, you put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know it as a testimony of that fact with every head bowed, would you just raise your hand up and hold it up for just a moment? I, preacher, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. You can put your hands down. How about you who could not raise your hands? You're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I died today that I'd be in heaven. I really don't know that, but I am concerned about it. With every head bowed, no one looking around, nobody's going to embarrass you. Would you raise your hand up? Hold it up for just a moment. Preacher, I'm not sure if I died that I'd go to heaven. I want you to pray for me. Anyone else? Anyone? God bless you. God bless you. You need to make sure. These, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. K-N-O-W. You can know you have eternal life by believing in the name of the Son of God, believing in Jesus Christ, putting your full weight and confidence and trust in Him. It's like when you came in and you sat down on the chair. You sat completely down. You put your full weight in it. You've got to put your full confidence in Jesus Christ. It's not your being good. It's not you're deserving it. It's not because you're an American. It's not because you're in church today. It's not because you're a Baptist. It's not because you've done some good deeds. It's all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray your blessings upon each one here today. And Lord, if someone needs to make that commitment and that decision, may they do so right now. By praying a prayer of faith, something like this, and this is you I'm talking about, then pray something like this in your heart to the Lord. Just say, dear God, I know that you are God. I believe in you. I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I fully believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he was crucified and buried, and I believe by faith that he rose again after three days. And I want to know that my sins are forgiven and that I can go to heaven one day. So right now, I put my faith and trust and confidence in you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's what I want everyone to do who needs to... It, it, there's something maybe God's spoken to you about. Maybe God wants you to join the church. Then I want you to take one of these cards. You Maybe you already have it, but fill it out and put on there uh, you want to know about church membership. If you just pray that prayer and asking Christ to be your personal Savior, then check the box about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. You just put your faith and trust in Him. If you've never been baptized since you've been saved, I want you to check that box. But go ahead and take one of these, fill it out, and we're going to go ahead, uh, and, and you can put that in the offering box in the back, and we will contact you later on about what you need to do. So please, please do that. We're going to enter into a time of communion right now, so I'm going to ask uh, our folks who are going to help with that to come and prepare and to give you an opportunity to 
Examine your own hearts because that's what the Bible says to do. I'm going to ask the praise team just to play something right now that you're planning to pray for the invitation, maybe.